0: I'm Pear's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter.
1: And I'm Joanna Sherino.
0: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach
2: Jabal. And this is the Friday of Pair
0: podcast. Full week back to work.
1: 2023.
0: 2023.
2: Our first podcast recording since you dropped some pretty big news in the uh, Best of Drinks podcast, Adam. Congratulations.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you very
2: much. We recorded the... Uh, Intro and outro to that episode before I'd actually listened to your uh, take, and I was. But you uh, knew I was going to go last, anyways. You I know? knew, you're I just, knew, you're... and then I was. I guess I should and... listen
1: to it because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think you do listen laugh. to the episode. <laughs> I know I don't listen to this podcast. Why? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear myself ever, cool. ever, ever, again.
0: Uh, I listened to that because I wanted to hear what everyone else said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one to listen to. You're barely
2: present on it, Joanna. Yeah. Like
0: and we got a dissertation on mezcal from David <laughs> <and> Fonte.
2: <laughs> I I promised I edited that down for some degree of concision.
0: I'm sure you <laughs> did.
2: I love Dave, but uh, you know Dave,
0: to- Dave Dave writes a lot, <laughs> and so I, I was not surprised. It was a very
2: good segment, though. Keith had some beautiful words that he hey. shared. Keith, and hates- yeah, I thought this was moving. I I actually thought I was I was surprised at how uh, how kind of emotional it was. Which not surprised, I guess, but pleased. That was good. Yeah, Keith Keith was moving. Nice.
0: Um.
1: So wait, what was your news?
2: Oh,
0: I shared that. I don't have a drinking buddy right now. Oh. And so my favorite moment of drinking this year was the last time we got, we, we like hung out together and got a little drunk at That's Sunken so nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, so this Friday, Joanna, the topic is all yours.
1: Yes. Okay. So what I want to talk about is how bourbon has become an impenetrable market.
0: Ooh. For the consumer. For the
1: consumer. I mean, kind of generally, yes. but for the consumer.
0: Hmm. And
1: I wanted to talk about this because I was recently trying to buy some nice bourbon and found myself kind of stumped on like what direction to go in and how to like take two to three hundred dollars and make it worth my while.
0: That is really interesting because I think I think what we're seeing is like bourbon has taken on the same sort of so bourbon used to be like the liquid for the every person. Yes. Right. It was like this accessible liquid that because it's like in, you know, charred new oak barrels is a little bit sweeter. It's vanilla. Right. It's the palate is more pleasing to majority of Americans. Um, and it was affordable. And so it was like the anti Scotch and Scotch was always like the, the, spirits version of wine, mm-hmm. right? In that like everyone was, if you didn't really understand it and collect it, you basically like, Looked at it in the same way you look at the you know high end wine section of the wine shop, right? Like you don't really know who these producers are. You can't say the names. You don't know if the hundred and fifty dollars on this single malt is worth it or not. Like, is a twelve year old that's two hundred better than the eighteen year old that's only one hundred but comes from a you know a distillery that you'd never heard of before? Like, do you just go to the one brand Macallan? Like, and I think what's happening is that that's occurring in bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to an even more insane degree and obviously much faster. I think what, what's what's happened with bourbon that's so crazy is that because we're such a huge country, not only do you have like a few of these distilleries that are celebrated, but then you have all these distilleries that are able to open up all over the country and produce bourbon. Using and-
1: liquid from other places
0: usually for other places or just following the, the the rules of like, you know, however long they have to keep it in the barrel, et cetera. And then charging a lot for it and putting it in a nice bottle and being like, Hey, this is quality. And I think a lot of consumers have no idea. And then, you know, there's this fear that also at this point in time, if you're bringing the bourbon to someone, maybe the bur- the person knows that it's good bourbon or they don't, right? or, you know, they look it up and wonder how much you spent on it. So like, are you a smart cons- – like, so, for example, we are huge fans at Vine Pair, right, of um, Evan Williams' Single Barrel. Like, we think it's, like, one of the best value bourbons on the market. Like, in terms of, like, it's a quality bourbon that, you know, does really, really well at, in tastings, but it's still very affordable. Like, you can still find it. For you know, in the thirty dollars range, mm-hmm. uh, like right now, I'm looking at it in Drizzly in New York City for thirty ninety nine. Yeah. Right, so if you're bringing that then as a gift right. to someone for a birthday, expensive, you know, some some milestone, even though that is actually quality liquid in the bottle, and they look it up, bucks. they're like, "Well, fuck, Joanna, man, she spent thirty bucks on the bourbon. Like yeah. that's bullshit." Exactly. It's 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 really it's, bourbon is in a very weird place right now because of that.
1: And also because if you are, you know, if you're doing some research, right, because you do want to pick a good bottle and then you're trying to find it and source it, and there's such price discrepancies as well. Like, are you looking, so you look at the MSRP and, (laughs) and then you see what you can actually buy it for. And (laughs) it's pretty, it's, it's so dramatic in a lot of instances, like you can have an MSRP for like 95 bucks, but then you can find that bottle on sale at places that who, actually have it, that actually have it, for like $300 yeah. or worse. Um, or you can find one for $200 or $400. Like, yeah. And I think that component of this is just so challenging.
2: I want to add a little bit more context to both of these points. I think one of them that should be elaborated on is when the bourbon craze first got going, the thing that I think drove it was this idea that, within this broad category of bourbon which was largely devoted to producing widely appreciated large scale production of of the sort of standard bottlings of your large distilleries or your large brands there were these little things that had fallen through the cracks there were these smaller distilleries who in you know mostly in Kentucky who didn't necessarily have as much reach but who produced great bourbon there were some one-off bottlings or single barrel bottlings or things like that that again didn't have the same level of production, but you could find around, and and or sometimes you had these kind of legacy labels that had been re kind of reborn under a different guise, but were maybe using an old recipe or just had or sometimes were rebottling old stock or who knows what. And what the bourbon industry learned from all this was that. What people, you know, a certain set of people, the taters, as Adam likes to call them, get excited they are about called the taters. <laughs> yeah, not just Adam. They are called the taters. I know, but it's just so fun <laughs> to, to credit you on this podcast because I think you love saying the word. It's a good word. No, uh, no, no criticism there. I think that the the some part of the industry has reoriented around that group of people in a way that says to capture that market, to retain that market, we have to constantly put, be putting out. New bottles, different bottles, things that are limited release. And it's like, I was never a huge collector of baseball cards, but I was definitely a little bit into it as a kid. And what I think in the sort of widespread telling of the baseball card industry and its kind of crash in the late 90s and early 2000s was that – as more and more people entered the game and as the card companies started producing more and more kind of special one-off cards or sets and claiming that these things were very expensive and very valuable, suddenly they're sort of, you know, the, the market as a whole looked around and said, well, wait a second, like everyone is producing these, you know, foil cards, holographic cards, cards with pieces of jerseys attached to them or whatever the fuck they were doing. And at the same time, like what people, most people buying baseball cards wanted was to see their favorite players and collect them. And I think what we are potentially seeing here in bourbon is for people who like to drink bourbon, it, I agree, it should not be so difficult to both find good bottles of bourbon and for you to risk feeling like a moron when you try to go do that, that like, you have no idea, you know, if you were someone who 10 years ago was like, I like Maker's Mark, and now you go look at say all the offerings from Maker's Mark that might be potentially available either in a store wherever you live or online or or you know through secondary sites, et cetera, it's overwhelming. And obviously Maker's Mark is far from alone. That just happened to be the one that came to mind to me. And so I think that it is this combination of, as we said at the top, you know, this weird aping of scotch and of fine wine, of like, you know, hyper specialization and higher price points, but also a kind of flooding of the market by these distilleries of we're going to put out so many collector's edition offerings that have they perhaps robbed that term of all meaning i kind of think maybe they have
0: well i think that's actually a really interesting point is that like the problem with the bourbon market right now is that the brands that are highly collectible become highly collectible as an entire brand right so for example yeah Yeah. so like a lie like colonel e.h taylor Mm -hmm. right like the all of its collectible like even the sort of entry level you'll find for like around $100 in a lot of places because everyone's decided. Same with, you know, Weller, mm-hmm. right? All of Weller is now hard to find. And so the problem for consumers is that like – so we've written a bunch about how like the Makers like Stave series is one of the like the best bourbons on the market right now. Right. The problem for the general consumer is that like you know Makers is this huge brand, Right. And so you're like, well, the regular makers is still 30 or 40, 45 bucks, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Am I just buying like that, but in as, as Zach was putting like as a collectible for 150 or 200? Yeah. Like they, you don't know because the entire, the entire portfolio hasn't become massively collectible because makers just makes a fuck ton of liquid. Yeah. Like they just do. They always have like they make it really well. And I think a lot of people would say like, Makers is a great bourbon, like everyday bourbon for, for most people. Um, but I think that that makes it hard to convince the person going for a gift. That like when you see it's Stave series, which is or a barrel pick of it, which are oh, man. pretty easy to find. Yeah. Right. That you should buy that at one hundred and fifty for someone when all you've heard is Pappy, you know, uh, Taylor all these other names, uh, Blanton's, right? Like those Stag. are things you should look for. And again, and those all, which I think is we've talked about before, is interesting because those are all coming from one distillery too. Yeah. Like we're basically talking about how like, could you imagine if there was like one winery that like was considered to just be like all in all, anything they produce was better than everything else out there. I mean, that's basically the way Buffalo Trace is viewed at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I, you could never see that. You, you don't see that in scotch either. Like, there's, there's not one distillery in Scotland that everyone's like, every scotch they put out is better than anything anyone else is doing. And that's what's happened with, with Buffalo Trace. So, yeah. like, it also makes it really hard because that's what then the, the consumer's looking for that special bottle is expecting is to get something special from Buffalo Trace.
1: Right. Yeah, I think we have this, like, concept of the unicorn, and it's yeah. very pervasive in bourbon right now. And so a lot of it is, like, is the is the liquid actually good, or are these bottles so coveted because they're hard to find? Um, there, one example from just my recent search, and I can't remember the brand, but, like, I was reading reviews, and this bottle was, like, really hard to find mm-hmm. and very expensive— but the liquid wasn't – like some people didn't think the liquid was that great, but it was like a customizable bottle or something. And mm. I was like, oh, please, I can't. Um, so, I yeah, I just I, – I, I think what you guys are saying is right because it is like in, in fine wine and like in scotch, it, it's become – it's collectible. And I think that's really – I find personally that it's really like damaged the market place for it.
2: Well, it's funny because on the on the one hand, I think that's definitely true, that like you have seen this dilution of these special bottlings because there are so many of them and it's so hard to understand what might make any given one of them special. On the other hand, like I do think something that has happened interestingly in bourbon is that maybe because of this or perhaps just unrelated but simultaneously, the quality of the bourbon that you can get in the sort of... I wouldn't say the sort of bottom shelf bottlings, but the mid shelf bottlings has gotten so good. Like the quality of bourbon that is widely available in the country is actually shockingly high. And whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the Evan Williams single barrel that Adam was talking about earlier, or just, you know, you're sort of, you know, there's just so much more, so many more resources available to distilleries. There's been so much put into building new distilleries, remodeling existing distilleries, the, the, prestige attached to bourbon distilling has attracted a lot of, you know, kind of talented distillers from all over the place to come work, you know, mostly in Kentucky, but, but, you know, wherever bourbon is made to some extent and because it's become such a popular category, I think the consumer demand for it has gotten, well, demand as a whole has obviously gotten much higher, but also in some way the expectation has gotten higher as well. And Mm. I do think that that's like an interesting it's an interesting thing where in some sense I think no other I'm not sure there's another thing in drinks that exactly maps on because one of the reasons why I think you haven't seen like you've seen these bourbon distilleries take on different paths and you know Buffalo Trace have a different reputation than any given uh say single malt distillery in Scotland is that you know the the story of Scotland and of distilleries is still pretty heavily tied to where there are like where the water source the you know the um the, some of like you know, what the local peat, et cetera, the barley, all these things that are kind of rooted in the part of Scotland they happen to be locally located in, and obviously bourbon is heavily tied to Kentucky. There's reasons for that that have the historical and you know to some extent maybe have to do with the natural resources on hand in Kentucky. But it has the story of bourbon has so much more been about the individuals and the distilleries and their recipes and their legacy and their practices. And so they have taken a different path, and I'm not sure that the one that they are walking in this high-end category is the right one. I think we've all kind of <laughs> shared some real and, and understandable hesitations, but I do think that what it has allowed is for the quality of those you know lower and, and mid-tier bottlings to rise in a way that just is harder to do in fine wine, It's harder to do in single malt whiskey because of I mean, we're not have time to get into all the ways in which those things are different, but I do think it is not an exact parallel. Yeah,
0: I think it's interesting. I, I do think you know, bourbon is one of these things that is going to continue to grow, and yep. <clears throat> I think for the time being, we will continue to be pretty. Uh, as it brings more people into the category, will continue to be pretty confusing to most people, besides those people knowing the big names and sure, you know. Hopefully they will get more interested and do more research and read and try to learn. And hopefully people who sell the bourbon will be accessible and friendly and kind of not snobby about it. But I think the problem right now that I see <clears throat> is because there are only a few of them, when someone comes and asks about it, like you sort of find often the the shop the person in the shop being like, oh, We don't have blantons. Right. Why do we have Blanton's? They're saying so Blanton's is really hard to find. You might not realize that. Like you're very it's very rare you would find it nowadays. But here are five other bourbons of the quality of Blantons around the same price point that are just as impressive or something. Like mm-hmm. we have to get to that stage, I think. Yeah. In bourbon. Um, you know, so that consumers sort of feel more comfortable. Or it's just gonna always be something where like people just are looking for the biggest brand
1: right well i think that's that's why it's a, a huge opportunity for some of these craft brands
0: yeah i do too yeah i do too let us know what you think um how do you, do you feel like bourbons become more or less accessible shoot us a email at podcast at dot com. Uh, i'm also still waiting on some of you to hit us up with the best things you drank this uh th- that this last year yes um and we will see you all back on monday
1: have a great weekend
0: sounds great Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now, through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show.